Hi, this is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. I just want to welcome you to this Bible study. And this is going to be the last part of Some Spiritual Warfare. This will be part three. Okay, here we go. Okay, so if you study the Bible like I do, and I do it like every single day on my lunch break when I get home, there's just so much that I need to know in the Word of God, and I read it over and over and over again. And the scriptures are always giving me something different, and that's the awesome thing about the Word of God. So, one of the words that I would like you to, since this is a Bible study, is to look up the word strongholds, or stronghold. Uh, in the Bible, there's a search engine you can find on the internet, um, a searchable Bible and you can see where all these words are, one of them. In the Old Testament, uh, strongholds is in the Old Testament 20 times, or at least related to those words, and only two times, well, I'm sorry, only one time in the New Testament. So we gain our definition through the Old Testament because when you read the word for the very first time, and if you're not familiar with Old Testament terminology, since it's only mentioned one time in the New Testament, you're going to figure that it's something strong. But it, there's a lot more to it. So let's start off in the book of Numbers, chapter 13, verse 19. And it says, Whether the land they dwell in good or bad, whether the cities they inhabit are like camps of strongholds. Judges, Judges 6.2, it says, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel because of the Midianites. The children of Israel made for themselves the dens, the caves, and the strongholds which are in the mountains. So in this one, you could actually see what a stronghold it is. It's actually a place. It's actually a place that it's hard to reach, but it's easy to defend. And to attack it is almost impossible. It's the reason why they choose high ground. That's why high ground is better to be in a battle. First Samuel 23.14 And David stayed in strongholds in the wilderness and remained in the mountains in the wilderness of Ziph. Saul sought him every day, but God did not deliver him into his hand. So this kind of like is a stronghold of God. It's a safety zone. It's a natural safety zone that I think God will bring his people to. In this case, it was an actual physical place. But God put David there to protect him from Saul. So I think if you read into it just a little bit in the spiritual sense, there are godly strongholds. First Samuel 23.19 reads, Then the Ziphites came up to Saul at Gibeah, saying, Is David not hiding with us in strongholds in the woods, in the hill of Hyshelia, which is on the south of Jeshimon? First Samuel twenty three twenty nine. Then David went up from there and dwelt in strongholds at En Gedi. Second Kings eight twelve. And Hazael said, Why is my lord weeping? He answered, Because I know the evil that you will do to the children of Israel. Their strongholds you will set on fire, and their young men you will kill with the sword, and you will dash their children, and rip open their women with child. And the list goes on. Second Chronicles 11.11, 11, Psalms 89.40, Isaiah 23.11, Jeremiah 48.18, 1 
Jeremiah 48, 41, uh, in Lamentations, in Ezekiel, Daniel, Micah, Nahum, and the very last one is 2 Corinthians 10, 14. And that reads, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, if I were to ask you a reference for pulling down a stronghold, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? If you say Joshua and Jericho, you're right. So that is one of the most popular reference that we can probably come up in the Bible. The Jews use that as a massive reference when it comes to strongholds. The amount of time, effort, and the trust and faith in God for that stronghold to be pulled down is a reference, I believe, to this particular scripture when it is being read in the spiritual sense to us now. Biblical references from the Old Testament are not just for good reads and to be able to explain what they were going through then. We are still reading from a context in which Jews are written to here as well. They're being told because the references that is being used here is references they understand. It's a reference they understand that God is involved with. Now, you see, there's references that we could refer to a lot of things that are not of God and not of the Bible, and people get it, like pop culture. There's a lot of words that are used now, metaphoric and replacement words, that the young generation now will use. Back in my day, when somebody said that was fresh, that would mean that that was cool, which is an older word for an older generation. And the the list goes on and how these words are changed. But you see, when it comes to strongholds, you don't think of Jericho. Only way you really think of Jericho is if you know the story of Jericho. But even Jericho is not called a stronghold. It was known for its walls, which exactly is a stronghold. Now, I want you to picture Jericho. It had very high walls. There was uh, some, I did a few studies on it. There was like an outer wall, inner wall, but they were massive. They were tall and they were built um, with very ancient and old methods of building, but it was very strong. It was to the point where it was so hard to take that it was never taken and is the reason why Jericho stood for so long. Now, a stronghold the inhabitants, what they do is they have probably farms or things on the outside of the walls, but when a threat arises, all of the people rush into the stronghold for protection, which they have a lot of stockpile of food, water, and more than likely are able to grow uh, crops and things like that inside, but only for a short period. Well, who knows? Who knows? It could be for a season or two. Who knows exactly what? But the bottom line is it is a place of safety. Now, I want to get these references out to you so that you can understand what I'm talking about when I can go further into this study, is because it's important that you understand these references from the Old Testament. I've given you plenty to go on, and so when there is a reference to it, you're going to understand it. Or you can go back and read what I gave you so that when you finally get to a place of understanding, allow the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you in your heart, your understanding of the Bible and the spiritual aspects 
of the providence of the Holy Spirit will start to come alive and their understanding will be geared more towards the function of the church. In the time of Christ, when Jesus was laying down the foundation, he spoke to them spiritual things, and one of them was about unclean spirits and the function and the insight to the unseen realm of unclean spirits. Second Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, for the weapons of our warfare. Let's just focus on weapons here for a second. The Bible gives the word darts, which are meant for arrows, possibly spears, but we know they had spears. Bronze Age proves that, Iron Age proves all of that. And then there were swords. So there are all different types of weapons that can be created that are fundamentally either a sword or something sharp like a blade, or like an arrow, a dart, or a spear. In our day, they would call them missiles. Now, weapons are in the hands of the wielder, the one who actually has them in their hands, the ones who's throwing them, the one who's like chopping with it, stabbing with it, whatever they do with the weapons, these, the time of these weapons and the warfare that they used it in. You have to put this in context. Now, this is what they're referring to, referring to those weapons. Now, those weapons, it gives a definition to it in the next couple of words. Now, the weapons that it's referring to here, it says here in the next few words, are not carnal. So they're not literal weapons. And you can only imagine what it'd be like if weapons were actually a literal thing. We'd actually have a sword and we'd have a helmet, we'd have a breastplate, we'd have all these things. But these are all descriptions of a non-carnal, non-corporeal description. And it's obviously talking about spirituality. Now, when it comes to spirituality, we have to be able to use scripture. Because we, spirituality is foreign to us. We can't really understand it unless we have a reference. So when it comes to weapons and when it comes to warfare, do we get that from the New Testament? Absolutely not. We get that from the Old Testament. The warfare that the Jews had to go through, e.g. Joshua and the kings, battling all of the pagan nations that surrounded them, was what they faced on a day-to-day -day basis, sometimes a yearly basis, or maybe there would be a raid on some of their outposts. But one way or another, war would start, for whatever reason, for resources, for all the reasons we know of today, fuel, or for whatever it is uh, that people want, land, and the list goes on. And so war is waged on these types of things, uh, politics and such. And diplomacy is supposed to be what works, but when diplomacy fails, of course, you have war. Now, most people do not want to submit to God, so therefore, it's automatic war. You, you choose a battle with God Almighty when you decide to rebel, and especially when you attack his people. And we, we learn through all of this through the Old Testament what happens when foreigners or people from other nations attack Israel, well, the God of the Bible comes to their rescue. They would take the Ark of the Covenant into battle and they would literally wipe everything clean. Everybody would be just annihilated. And so they, the kingdoms surrounding Israel, they feared them because of the God that went before them.
Now it's the same thing here. God gives had, had given Israel weapons to defend themselves. And then when it came to a place when the numbers were overwhelming, what did God do? He didn't give them more men. He took men away. If you think that the original 300 was the movie, the Greeks and Thermopylae, you're wrong. The original 300 is with Gideon. That's found in Judges chapter 7, verse 7. So I'm just trying to lay down a foundation about weapons and the history of weapons and why it's necessary for us to know the references that are to them are connected to them so that we can understand the scriptures that we have today. So there are types and shadows in the Bible, of course, that are about Christ, and this is what I teach a lot, but there's also types and shadows of our understanding when it comes to rightly dividing the word of truth, specifically in the spiritual realm. Now, Jesus told parables, and then he gave the interpretation of the parable. So there was a double meaning, but it was only for exemplary reasons so that people can see the example and then understand it in another way. I found it masterful. I find it masterful how Jesus teaches is because he gives word uh, pictures and illustrations so that we can get the message here. And it's the same thing that's happening here when there are two meanings, but they, we walk away with hearing two sides of it, but we walk away with one revelation of what exactly it is. So for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. This is a gigantic lesson because it is a lot easier to look at our adversaries and think that we need to put hands and feet on them. And that is not the case. We are not to be violent. We are not to push back. We're not to uh, use um, revenge or grudges in order to operate in. What we do is we operate in love. But the thing is, is that we choose what we do wisely. Now, there's a scripture that says, be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove. So we have to be able to use the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And I want to emphasize the word wisdom is because when dealing with warfare, we're dealing with weapons that are coming at us as well. This is where we're ignorant. Weapons that are formed up against us, of course, will not prevail. But the fact that the weapons are formed against us. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 54, verse 17, it says, No weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue which rises against you in judgment you shall condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord, and their righteousness is for me, says the Lord. Now, we can add this scripture to exactly what we're talking about here. Now, no weapon against us, I already said that, the fact is they are weapons that are formed against us, but it says they won't prosper. But the fact is they still come at us. Now, we have to stand in faith that no matter what happens, that even if, in fact, that we get overtaken, when we do get overtaken, that level of being overtaken won't continue. It actually drops off because it is a false victory. Sometimes victories feel bigger than what they really are. And this is why we have to continue focusing on the Word of God. What is the truth? Because lies can make you react and do things out of your character as a Christian. 
but it says here they won't prosper. So there has been many times where I have been wrongly accused of things and knowing that I've been wrongly accused of things, but what do I do? I don't lash out or lash back, although that's what I feel like doing, but I don't. But over a few weeks, it doesn't prosper. And so it falls off and goes away. So yeah, there'll be things, there will be things that will be formed against you. And sometimes it'll feel like a victory for them, but really it's not because it won't prosper. What prosper is right here. It says, and every tongue which rises against you. This is what I was saying. In judgment, you shall condemn. So in other words, they're trying to bring wrong things to righteousness, which if you are in Christ and you are of God, you won't be blamed for things that the world gets blamed for because of the stuff that they're doing. You should be blameless in the fact at the best level as you possibly can, of course. But those judgments will, they, you will be able to condemn their judgment because it will not prosper. Now, this is part of the warfare that I'm talking about. How many times that you've been, you know, you've been praying, you know, you've been fasting, you know, you've been walking in the Lord, you know, you've been trying to keep your, your eyesight clear and clean and your mouth and your words clean and your, and your heart and your thoughts. The Holy Spirit's moving in your life. And then all of a sudden something comes up against you and totally out of order, completely wrong. And how does that make you feel? Well, it, for me personally, it, it really irritates me. It, it really gets me good because I know that I treat everybody with respect and with dignity. I'm nice to everybody and I try to show the love of God in my words, in my actions. And when somebody comes up against you and all you've done is good, those things that are trying to form against you, it will not prosper. So in turn, it says here, this is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is for me. So if you have the righteousness of God and you are operating in the righteousness of God in scripture to the best of your ability, that will condemn the weapons that are trying to be formed against you. This is the warfare that I'm talking about. This is a, a one type of warfare. Lies, slander, backstabbing, trash talking. There's a lot of tongue going on there because there are so many things that people say against Christians. And the fact that maybe they're, they may not say you're doing something wrong, but the fact they don't like the fact that you don't join in with everybody else in what they do. Some people just don't like that about Christian people. And they will give Christians a hard time based on the fact that they are together. Following God's word gives you wisdom and your life is just together. Not because you're better than anybody else. The fact that you follow the Lord. For me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Because you're serving the Lord, you got it together. And people will just hate you or hate on you for that fact and give you a hard time. Well, that's warfare. When you're walking in the Lord in his righteousness, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. If that's what you're doing, you have a, a gigantic target right on your back. And that's good. You should be happy the fact that there's a target on your back because that means you are trying to walk in the righteousness of Christ. Now, warfare comes from that, okay, now, the weapons part, I've kind of went on about that, about the weapons part. Now, sin is resident in every person. None of us is better than the other. 
You know, we all have logs in our eyes. And because we choose to not use carnal resolve, carnal ideas, worldly and secular resolves for our lives, we use the word of God, which is completely opposite to the world. So we are on God's side using his, what we, he has given us, which is good for us, which shows to be good for us, and turns out in the short and long term good for us. But the world is always struggling. The fact that you've been married for five years, 10 years, 15, 20, 30 years, 40, 50, 60 years is a testament. Just that alone is a testament to your life in Christ. How long you've been a Christian? Two, three, four, five, six, all the way to 20, 30, 40 years, 50 years. That's a testament that you've been struggling with your flesh, but you are allowing Christ to, to overtake the sin and you are in grace and, and his mercy. And you see, and so those ideas, they shine through. And then somebody will find something to say against you and say against your marriage and say against, you know, your walk and, and, and all these things. This is warfare. Okay. This is warfare. This is, this is the walk that we walk. This is the, the weapons that are causing us. There's a lot of words, lies. There's a lot of things that are, that creep into our psyche when we're in a, situation too long when we don't trust in the Lord, when we don't look to him for the answers in the word, when we don't pray to him, when we don't seek him. And when we don't feel like seeking him is when we should. He's our stronghold. So I'm giving you all of this for a context. And as we move forward, you're going to see. Now, what I don't want you to take away from this section that I'm talking about right here is the fact that that is serendipity or that it's chance or just a chain of events, or it can happen to anybody. You see, everything I just said right there is how people explain things away that are spiritual. Don't do that. If you believe that God is a God of order, you believe that God has the past, the present, and the future in his hand, you better believe there's no such things as those descriptions. They all happen for a reason. All things are ordered. Now, warfare is... I think different at each level of your faith, and you could see it. The warfare that Elijah had and the warfare that John the Baptist had were very similar. Why? It's because he had the spirit of Elijah. What does that mean? That means that his character and his persona was employed. John the Baptist is what I'm speaking of. His empl was employed, the spirit of Elijah, because of what was going on. You have Herodias, obviously, was employed by the Jezebel spirit. Jezebel, the woman, was obviously possessed by a spirit and then is later called the Jezebel spirit is because that's the reference that it was because who knows what it's called in the spiritual realm. And I don't want to know. But the fact is, is that it exists. And since it was employed in Herodias, then Elijah's spirit was employed in John the Baptist, two ancient foes. Now, when this all broke out, what did they both do? When Elijah was on the run, he was scared. He was afraid. When John the Baptist was in prison, he started doubting whether Jesus was the one. So you could see the level of warfare that each of them had to deal with. 
versus you and I, we're just trying to live under grace. We're trying to, you know, go to our jobs, trying to live in our, in our homes with our family, trying to keep our marriages together, let alone trying to keep together the kingdom of Israel or trying to set kings straight. That'd be like our job would be to go set the president of the United States straight on something that he's doing. The warfare, you're dealing with extremely pivotal points of warfare in which a nation will go versus say you're trying to keep your household together, whether or not you're going to pull out of one church and go to another church. I mean, those are, that's a very difficult thing to do as well, but they're completely two different things. But warfare comes in each one of those. This is why the word of God is so important to know. This is why the word of God is so important to operate from. A foundational way to operate and to build your decision making and thoughts and ideas come from every word of God. Okay, let's take a quick break. go back to 1 Corinthians 10, 3 first, and then we'll move forward. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Okay, let's stop there. Now, the, the warfare in the carnal is weak. It doesn't serve anything. But yet, a lot of Christians operate in the carnal when it comes to warfare. Sad, but it happens. And I think we really need to be educated on this. More messages need to be preached on this. More Bible teachers need to expound on this. The rest of scripture reads, carnal but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Now, are we pulling down walls of Jericho physically? No, we're not. Those things don't exist anymore. It would, I think the equivalent to a stronghold nowadays would be like a stadium. Well, back in my day, it was Candlestick Park, but I'm sure there's AT&T Park now. And there's different ones. If you take a look at those walls that are built up for that stadium, that, that's kind of like almost equivalent to Jericho. Gigantic walls. And how are you going to get, and people like firing arrows and spears and rocks and throwing things at you, that's really hard to to try to be able to conquer. It's the same thing in the spirit. But the problem with spiritual strongholds is that it has to be defined this way. There is a godly spiritual stronghold, and there is a demonic spiritual stronghold. So there's two there, okay? 
Now, the godly strongholds are built up is just exactly what I told you before we went to the break. We walk in the spirit. We live, breathe, and eat the word of God. We live by faith. True doctrine produces true worship. True doctrine produces a true walk. True doctrine produces true thoughts and ideas. And all of these things that I just said there are godly spiritual strongholds, relying on the Holy Spirit. You see, now when we do that, there's no room at all for anything demonic. We're filled to the brim with God. We're filled to the brim with Christ. But if you have resident sin that's in you, that you are allowing Christ to conquer in your life, that you are submitting to Christ in your life, we cannot rest and relax for one minute for that to grow or to get sunlight to grow. We have to constantly allow the Holy Spirit to conquer our flesh daily, as Paul said. So this is why the carnal aspect of warfare is meaningless. It says, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. So the weapons of our warfare in this spiritual aspect is mighty in God. Not mighty in you, okay, but mighty in God. This is where we derive our strength from. This is where Israel won all their battles. Is because they were mighty in God. God before us who could be for, who could be against us. Now it doesn't say mighty in God for battling strongholds. It says mighty in God for pulling them down. Now what does that mean? It means to destroy. Destroying strongholds. What did Jericho? They destroyed Jericho. They annihilated it. So when strongholds are pulled down, I want to emphasize the S at the end of stronghold. Strongholds. If you think that you're dealing with one stronghold in your life, you're wrong. It's strongholds. Why? It's because strongholds are spiritual. Strongholds uh, in a godly stronghold are the words of God. The words of God to produce godly ideas. The words of God produce godly opinions. Okay? But a demonic stronghold are lies. So lies produce untruths of thoughts and ideas and presumptions. So you get what I'm saying? I'm going to make a contrast there is because this is where our understanding is going to come from. So a demonic stronghold is built of lies. And the only thing that can pull them down is the power of God. Our weapons are exactly what? Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit. Now, the word restore is very interesting. I found this in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament, 56 times. I'm not going to go through all that. But it's also in the New Testament 10 times. So, restoration or being restored or to restore, the references are far outweigh the, Old, the New Testament by far. In some cases in the Bible, the, re, the word restore is, is to return or to make whole. 
but in the sense of like, let's say, I'll give you a perfect example. Genesis chapter 20, verse 14 says, And Abimelech took sheep and oxen and men servant and women servants and gave them to Abraham and restored him his wife. So he gave his wife back. So there's that kind of restore. But you kind of get the idea of what restore means. To return back it's to his former shape or former worth or former form. Now, looking through all these scriptures, it all pretty much means the same thing. Now, in the New Testament, it also means the same thing as well. Here it says that Jesus the, saith to the man, stretch forth thy hand, and he stretched it forth, and it was restored, whole, like it as the other. And then here it says, Matthew seventeen eleven, and Jesus answered and said unto them, Elias truly shall first come and restore all things to bring back things to what it was before. It's kind of like a reset, bring it back to factory settings. Now here in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in fault, now take now I want you to take note to this exactly right here. Brethren, if a man be taken over in a fault, so now we're all going to be taken over in our faults. It just happens. It's who we are. We're not perfect. We're sinful beings. And is why we must die daily, why we have to be able to put on the righteousness of Christ. It gives a second part here, ye which are spiritual. See, that's the only way restoration can happen. And therefore, if restoration happens in the spirit, that means that we also battle in the spirit. But we don't battle each other. We're to restore. The next part of the scripture says, Restore such as one in the spirit of meekness. You see, so it's not aggressive. Restoration doesn't come off aggressive. Restoration comes off in the spirit as spiritual and it's meek. The rest of it says, Considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. You see, so temptation, there's a lot of components here, but there is not hard to understand. This is for today. It happens to us today. God has given us the anatomy and the description of our spiritual life, what we deal with from the carnal to the spiritual, in him, outside of him. There's, it just describes it to the T. So pulling down strongholds, the next part of it says casting down arguments. See, now it's getting more and more descriptive of what it is, what the battle is, where the strongholds are, and argument. What exactly is an argument? It's two ideas butting heads. It's two ideas not agreeing with one another. So they're ideas. Why are ideas so difficult? It's because the person who is arguing against the other, they both truly believe they're right. They believe what one is saying they're correct in and the other one's saying I'm correct in. And then they go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth on their positions. You see, there are no two opposing doctrines in the word of God. We either get it or we don't. The Holy Spirit is the one who reveals the truths. And if we reason to the truth with our carnal mind and our intellect, we may come close, but we're not going to be on point. Limitations of doing things like that. So it says to cast down. So strongholds must be pulled down, casting down arguments. So there are a lot of opposing arguments, ideas, emotions, 
that come against God's people, that come against the church, that come against God himself on so many different levels, on an individual level's life, on a family's life, on a community's life, on a town's life, city, region, county, state, you name it. It just continues to grow. There's there's all of these arguments. Now, as you know, as you see in the news today, as you read in articles on the internet and you listen to what people are saying, it's argumentation after argumentation. But we are limited to what? What kind of argumentation it says here? Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. So if it exalts itself against the knowledge of God, that's your and mine argument. This is how you pull down strongholds. By the word of God. By your lifestyle. The exemplary lifestyle that the word of God organically grows in a Christian. If that's not in place, what you're saying means nothing to the naysayers. You have to be able, your life and your actions have to match what you say, what you, which God you serve, who you serve, what you serve. Wisdom, balance. People have been calling Christians hypocrites for, since the word Christian ever came about. A lot of armchair skeptics, a lot of armchair Christians. This is why we have to be able to pull down strongholds and cast down every argument within ourselves first. We, and then it, what, the rest of it says this, bringing every thought, every thought. So thoughts actually are spawned and bred from somewhere. There's a source of thoughts. God gives us a either or logic, true and false. True, being godly, false, being worldly and satanic. See, God doesn't mix lies with truth, but the devil does. The satanic realm does. And you know, and this is another thing I want to say about warfare. You don't have things talking to you, and some people say they do. And the ones that are probably practicing occult things probably do hear things. Maybe not physically audio, but they definitely hear them with inside them. Heard so many stories about that sleep paralysis. These are things that are, are highly demonic. So every thought into captivity. In other words, you take every thought captive. How do you do that? How do you take a thought captive? Well, that's easy. You bring in the truth. Now, some people think that truth is just saying anything that's true. I have to highly disagree. Now, you're saying a truth that is more than likely going to expose people's sins. But on one hand, you're exposing the sin. But on the other hand, you need to keep that door open for repentance. Because if you, and I, and I like what the late Ravi Zacharias used to say, and he got this from somebody else. I think it's an old um, Indian proverb from India. Um, if you're going to hand somebody a rose, don't chop their nose off before you give it to them. Along those lines, that's what I remember him saying. And I, and I still, to this day, I agree with that. 
Only because that if you're going to bring, if you're going to use the Word of God, your life as a submission to God, your exemplary actions to the Word of God, in so that you can speak into somebody's life, and you're casting down these arguments that are against God, pulling down strongholds and deliverance, and bringing every thought into captivity, you have to leave the door open here for the next thing it says here to the obedience of Christ. What does obedience means? It means repentance. It means submitting your life, surrendering to Christ. If you completely obliterate somebody with your words in a carnal sense, they will have nothing to do with Christianity, will have nothing to do with God and Christ. You have to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. This is why this has to be taught. This is why we we have very tunnel vision Christians nowadays, and we have very skeptical atheists and skeptical backslidden Christians because of how they were treated in the church or how they were treated by Christians. I hope you get what I'm saying. I'm trying to say this is the best way I can without trying to come off uh, uh, judgmental, but this is the truth. So there's room for even us to repent for what we've done and not to do anymore. Now that you've, I'm saying this, now that you know and you're privy to it, it's about us asking God to forgive us for being that way to, to people and we just don't do that anymore. Now what I want to end with is this. We, as Christians, have a lot of growing and learning to do. It is exactly what and the reason why I'm building a church. The whole reason why education is going to be key. Why the praying for the Holy Spirit for revelation in each life after every Bible study is key. If we are not the examples of the Word and the organic growth of a Christian's spiritual growth, in wisdom, in knowledge of Scripture, in allowing the Holy Spirit to be able to bring in remembrance to what they say at any given moment for the edification of the church, the edification of God, of Christ, the body. This is why we do what we do. This is why spiritual warfare is... I wrote an article, and I'm going to read it. I posted this article on my social media page. And it reads like this. A demonic infiltration spirit like the Jezebel and other spirits act like an auto, autoimmune disease. An autoimmune disease is a condition in which your immune system mistakenly attacks your body. In this case, attacks the body of Christ. In short, Christians attack Christians for fundamental reasons. I'm not going to read the whole article, but I'll just read that part. That's the part that I want you, that I want to read. It is a very, it is super, super important to understand that if we attack one another, we attack other Christians, we are doing a disservice to God and the body of Christ, and we are giving people ammunition against the lifestyle that Christ is supposed to be working in, changing, and making better. But if we are doing this to one another, why would they want to be a Christian? Our example is very key. We are the ambassadors of Jesus Christ. We're the representatives of God. We're to exemplify His mercy and grace and love in our lives and let it be shown to all men so that they could see the love of God that is in our life. 
the mercy and the grace that's on our life for our mistakes and the things that we do on a daily basis because of our sinful nature. And we're not perfect, but Jesus Christ is. And this is why it is so important. This is why this last segment of some spiritual warfare is important to know that in the first two segments, there's the history of it. And the second segment is kind of like the nail that gets hit with the hammer. And this one here is to drive it home is, is the reasons why. Now I'm not going to, of course, I'm not going to cover it all, but I'm only covering one scripture here. I gave you some history of the word and the, and the, the terminology. And I've also given you the old Testament aspect of it and where this comes from and why a Jew would understand all this talk and why we're new to this and we are trying to, you know, even some people are trying to make up things about what this actually means and it's, it's really not. And so you really have to be able to read your Old Testament to understand where these terms come from. These aren't brand new terms. These these scriptures are are read and, and geared towards Jewish believers because that was the first church. It comes from the Old Testament. If you look at the lust of the flesh that's located in Galatians 5, and if you look at the fruit of the Spirit, that's going to help you understand your own behavior versus the behavior that we're supposed to be in the nine responses to the world in the Spirit. All right. This is Pastor Frank at Frank's Bible Study. I hope you learned something. Be blessed. Have the blessed rest of your week. Amen, amen, and amen.